0: Mr. Brandon Monroe, how are you, sir? Matt, I'm in sunny Adelaide, South Australia, the exclusive exporter of uranium amongst Australia, which is the world's largest uh, holder of uranium resources. But that's not of the topic. Oh, well, how are
1: you? <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm, we're all very good here, but we're very keen to hear how the conference is going because um, it, what we're seeing around the world is that conferences. Are not being attended by investors. You've got juniors who are desperate to raise cash but can't. Um, and people kind of and we've done a poll recently, which is sort of asking companies whether there's a big ROI on their investment and in getting to conferences. So I'm gonna ask you the same question. What's the ROI looking like for this conference? Really
0: good. Now I distinguish it from an investor conference. So here we are, folks, we're at the global uranium conference. It's a conference that uh, is in something like its 18th anniversary. It, uh for many years, it was sponsored by OSI, the Australian Institute of Metals and Metallurgy. Uh, they lost their way a little bit in COVID and just as uranium started to come back into favor, they thought that, oh, you know, maybe that we'll do it every second year. Last year, a handful of CEOs got together and we just said, no way. This has been an annual conference. It's the most important international uranium conference in Australia, and we're going to do it, even if they don't. That was a great success, and you'll remember that we, we uh, beamed in, beaming in more ways than one from the uh, final drinks of the conference last year, uh, Siobhan Lancaster and myself, and it was a great success. So this year, we were able to get the Minerals Council of Australia on board, and that's a really good step for the sector. Uranium is a very small part of the overall minerals mix in Australia, but the Minerals Council of Australia now realise that the nuclear power debate is so important for mining and competitiveness in this country that they've been quite happy to get to get behind even something that's such a fledgling industry over here. So it's an industry conference. Surprisingly, there are a number of investors here. There's a number of funds There's plenty of brokers. Bell Potter, which is one of the main broking firms in Australia, they're the key sponsor. But uh, we had the other major broking firms here as well. Really well received. And, you know, for me, the ROI has been excellent.
1: Okay, well, Bell Potter and and others um, are bellwether uh, for what's going on internationally. So brokers only come out when they can sniff money to be made. We know that for sure. So, And we've seen Peninsula announce a $50 million um, raise at uh, bare minimum um, this, this morning. Um, do you feel that the, the uranium companies are feeling that they are able to raise capital? Because again, that goes against the, the current tide for most juniors in other metals. So um, how confident is everyone feeling?
0: Yeah, it hasn't even been a topic of conversation. Obviously, the Peninsula raise was and the um, lead broker to that, the uh, lead manager, Shoran Partners, they're here um, in the conference. Um, they played a key role in a couple of the sessions that I ran today. However, it's not it's not an anxiety point for any of the CEOs here. It just hasn't been that topic of discussion. The feeling is that uh, the market's supportive, the market dynamics and fundamentals are absolutely outstanding. And... Unlike a couple of years ago when we had that first taste of market appetite and everyone was like, should we jump, should we jump, should we jump, I think everyone's pretty chilled about it here, with some exceptions, And um, but the CEOs who are here, which is all of the big names, they're all very comfortable with the position that they're in.
1: Well, like I say, it goes goes against the tide. Not not many uh, metals companies out there, not many uh, commodities company CEOs are feeling that way at the moment. So, uranium is definitely the kind of green shoots appearing in the in the sector. And um, <coughs> obviously, we're seeing we're seeing um, inflation rates coming down around the world, but hopefully, uh, uh, interest rates as well to to follow that, w- which will help. Now, tell me, you've you've run a few sessions. What were the session? All the session topics and why? Why those topics? Why? Why were they important to discuss?
0: So my two sessions were firstly, it was a panel with broker advisors. So we had the not advisors but analysts. So we had the resource analysts and energy analysts from & Partners, uh, from Canaccord, and from Bell Potter. So I had all three of them on the stage, and we had a really Really, quite a fun, highly interactive panel session, and oh, I, I get a bit bored by panel sessions at these conferences. To be quite frank, so I gamified it, and it sort of—I did get a couple of, I think they were compliments. I had a couple of people afterwards saying that I was channeling game show host. Would that be a compliment, Matt? Maybe not. Anyway, let's see. The say point yes. is, everyone enjoyed this. Let's say yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind of you. <laughs> the point is that it was really well received. It was entertaining. We had the audience's attention for literally every minute of that hour-long session. But the information was really good. What they disclosed, what we talked about, what I was able to probe them on, on stage was fantastic. Then what we had was a pre-record from Pierre Yander from WMC. Now, for everyone out there, WMC do the buying for Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. And Pear is the on a Chinese walled end of the business that works for the Spot Physical Uranium Trust as their fuel buyer, their uranium buyer. So that, of course, was going to be interesting and enlightening. Then we came back and I came back onto the stage and I moderated a panel of uranium investors, which consisted of the State Manager of Shore & Partners here, Fraser McLeod, his long-term supporter of the uranium sector. First came to Adelaide in 2016 to meet with Fraser. We did a lunch here when people were going, oh, uranium. Yes, I remember that. So he he was here last year and he was great. Uh, Guy Keller, of course, who's been on the energy show from Trebecca Investment Partners, he was on the panel. And then interestingly, what we managed to secure a chap called James Hood. Now, he's the senior energy analyst within Regal Funds Management, which is like one of the biggest instos in the resources space in Australia. Certainly one of... They're probably the biggest kind of leveraged, long, short, structured institution in the country. So it was great because we had that strong diversity of opinion and James in particular, time and time again, he'd bring us back to look from our perspective as a long, short investor. That stuff we don't even... Don't even watch it. So we're talking about like analyst price decks, uranium price decks. And he said, look, I respect those guys a lot. I don't watch any of that stuff. I look at money flows. Your 15-day moving average is so much more important to me uh, being a long short in uh, fund than what it's going to be in five years' time. The audience loved it. For many people sitting in the audience who might have been a bit technical or not at the coal face of investor relations and capital markets, This was real insights. This was like the first time they were even hearing this way of thinking. So it was a really valuable session and also a lot of fun.
1: Well, and that's what it needs because most of these conferences, do, unfortunately, um, are mundane, boring, same old, same old events. And I think that's why investors aren't rocking up to the investor-focused ones. Um, I think that's why companies are struggling um, to, you know, Think about you know putting the money down and getting you know getting out there into conferences next year. It would seem from our poll anyway. Suggest that. now, uh, uh, tell me this: you've I know you've got to get, head off to um, some some broker o- events which are bi- which are being lined up this evening. So we will keep you too long. But what do you think people are going to go away from this conference um, understanding that they didn't before they arrived, and what do you think they're going to be messaging out into the marketplace? The, the biggest message coming through you yeah,
0: for our audience, the people that we're talking to at the energy show, was number one, the supply side is very perilous. Secondly, there is a serious skewing of risk. So one of the keynote speakers who's exceptionally deep in this sector basically said there's very little downside risk. It's all upside risk based on potential everywhere for supply disruption. And then the third thing that really came through strongly was the fact that what we're seeing at the moment and it's healthy $76 spot price you know there's not a lot to not like about that right now but it's a lagging indicator. Number 1, the term price tends to lag the spot price anyway when it's moving so quickly, but more importantly, what this speaker made a really strong case for was that there is so much inbuilt resistance amongst market participants in this sector, that if they're printing $76, it's a lagging indicator that clearly it's going to go higher and it's going to drag a bunch of market participants kicking and screaming on the way up. So everyone here is left with a real strong sense of confidence that we're in a good place now with the sector as, as on the Uranium production side anyway. Um, this, the volatility on price seems to be up rather than down. And whilst I wouldn't call $76 a floor, the floor is progressively stepping up in this sector. So everything's very, very well positioned for what we need to do as Bannerman Energy. You know, as everyone would know, we've got an advanced shovel-ready asset and we're now coming into the phase where we need to start thinking about how to finance this project and start thinking about offtake. The setup couldn't possibly be better for that calculus and that equation and those set of decisions that are going to be coming at us fairly soon.
1: Right. Okay. And and I'm sure you'll come on the show and talk us through some of those things. Um specifically and I and I and I do um I do hope that you do just just me, I want to be clear on I want to be clear with people out there make sure they're standing right. With on the first point that you make with regards to supply, you you're we're not just talking about geopolitical events, but we're also talking about the ability for um, advanced developers to get into production. Any any time soon? Some advanced production, um producers get into production. Oh my goodness! Some advanced developers to get into production anytime soon. It is early here. I swear to God, I, I need a copy. Um, is is that what you mean? Just just expand that that comment that you made about uh, supply concern. So it's a concern on current
0: supply. So when's new year supply going to resume? Will Prom be able to achieve its 2025 intent to go back to full production? How's Cameco going with their um, ramping up of their assets? So the existing supply base has got question marks. And then in terms of, well, where's all this new supply coming from? Uh, we've got two restarts that are coming up really soon, Langer Heinrich and Honeymoon here in South Australia for Boss Energy. But beyond that, yeah, there's a lot of people who were saying, "Ah, oh, don't worry, as soon as we see sixty-five dollars, you'll see those green fields projects come rushing into the market. There's nothing to be seen. It's crickets. And that's a theme that came through really strongly, you know, bearing in mind we're sitting in a room of the majority of those greenfields producers. And uh, you know, no one's out there rushing to to come into production at current levels. So there was a lot of talk about well, what really is the incentive price. How long is it going to have to stick around for? How much liquidity are we going to need to see? Like how many pounds are utilities going to be prepared to chase at that incentive price? And only then do we see the greenfield developers, only then if they're really truly ready, not just saying they are, and only then if they can get the financing support. So the picture really emerged in this conference, something that we've been talking about, that there's fragility. Associated with the supply picture that a casual observer of this sector uh, would not understand.
1: It's it's multi-layered. It 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 really, really is, and and I think that will you know it will reveal itself over the the coming months as as, as price uh, starts moving. do you do you feel? And I've talked about this with Guy, uh, John, Sean Paglia, had, had some commentary about this with, in terms of this transition from a buyer's market towards a seller's market. But there's like there's a kind of there's a kind of holding period where the sellers are in control in a sense, but they're also got to get their timing right. I.e., yeah, it is at a price which works for us, but I think we can eke out a bit more um, from these buyers. At the moment, because um, they are getting so desperate that perhaps it's time for them to sweat as much as we have for the last 10, 12 years. So, are, are you are you getting a sense that maybe there are some people that could move, but are choosing just to hold back and just see what happens if they leave it three months, might get a better price?
0: Uh, you know, Matt, I'd characterize it a different way. You know, in general, we've moved now into a seller's market rather than a buyer's market. But the more nuanced message that I received uh, from a number of different people at this conference was we're actually more on the cusp. We're not seeing the circumstances that will lead us in five years' time saying, yeah, end of 2023, wow, we we were really in a seller's market then. It's more a transition. We're not yet seeing the behavior that clearly demarcates The market conditions as a seller's market, and I think that's something that will evolve. The more time we spend with uranium prices above the seventies into the eighties, you know, and so forth, they will start to define the atmosphere and the 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 negotiating positions more clearly as a seller's
1: market. I I, I absolutely tend to agree with you on that one, but I also my, my my other fear is for investors is that price rushes through to a a spike so i like these higher lows but i think we will spike at something ludicrous which will perhaps leave a few people with a little bit too much money um on the table um and they you know make make cause some damage so if there could be a nice you know accretive transition through those those price ranges that would be great but uh, we shall see we shall see the 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 mood of the market boom i don't know what noise you made on stage but i'll go with boom (laughs) what do you think of that and that was two and a half minutes. But there there we go. You this is such a special guest. you we allow allow you some leeway. Well look, get off there, go and um, shake some hands, um you know, work the room as as it were. Um and we'll see you at very, very soon. Um thank you very much. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Talk soon.